Stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. I'm here with the coach, John Brett. And I'm here with the vet. And I'm here with the vet, Mr. Ann Griffin. Wow, that's cool, Coach. Oh, wow. I mean, we're blowing stuff up already. I, I've never blown anything up, but I hear I got the guy here that can help me blow stuff up. So I'm ready. So go ahead, Coach. Who we got here? Well, on uh, the screen on the bottom left of your screen, you got Mr. Alan Bailey from Pittsburgh, Texas. I've known since, wow, I, I, I couldn't remember how long, probably my whole life, uh, or at least close to it. I don't know, when, when did you move to Pittsburgh? Were you born in Pittsburgh? I was born in Pittsburgh, so. Uh, I was born in Mount Pleasant, but I lived there my whole life. Because you lived on Lafayette Street. That was that was off and on living on Lafayette Street. My mom lived on Lafayette Street. Okay. Yeah, and on Kesterson, which was maybe what half a mile, three quarters of a mile, and we played a little basketball at the Episcopal Church. And yeah, we probably played more basketball there than the people at the church played. Yeah, there's no doubt. The actually, the, the funny story about that is the guy got tired of me. I didn't go over and knock on his door so he could flip the light on. So he actually gave me a key to hide so I could turn the light on so I could play basketball. Now it was crazy, but anyway. Um, also, you and I played on the same basketball team in high school. Well, you probably played. I probably sat and watched you play. Shoot, I was sitting with you. Hey, what are you talking about? I mean, we, the, the white guys were sitting watching. What are you talking about? I mean, you got Tony Williamson and Ricky Crowder and Craig yeah. Tony. You ain't going to get a lot of playing time. Yeah, Tony Jones didn't need anybody. I just needed somebody to give the ball. That's it. Yeah. And then one of my best friends from my whole Pittsburgh was Daryl Freeman, which is yeah. your – My brother-in-law. Brother-in-law, right? Yep. That's right. Great guy. I went and saw your – would be his son last year play a game against someone, and I went over there and watched him. We had an off week. But it's a great family. So you and Unita, I mean, how long have y'all been together? Uh, this may be 32 years. Maybe wow. 32 years. I like 32 that. 32 years. All right. Well, man, we got you on here. I love seeing your comments, and uh, uh, thank you for your service. So I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, me too. I'm glad to be here. So we got Alan here, and I'm going to post up a picture he put here. You talked to us a little bit about it, Alan. Yeah, you know, y'all probably wonder why I put a picture of me and Ian. I'm the fat guy. I'm the fat guy. <laughs> but, you know, me and Ian, we, we graduated together, and I'm going to tell you, I cannot remember talking to Ian probably 10 times the whole way through school. So it took us going, what, almost 8,000 miles away from Pittsburgh to realize how much we had in common and how good of friends that we could be. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, that's Ian's probably one of the best friends I got now. And I appreciate it, brother. I mean, we were in Afghanistan together and we got to talking on the internet and he said, Hey, I'm going to be, where were you going to be in Jalalabad? And I said, okay. I said, right, that's just a helicopter ride away. So I flew <laughs> up there and we spent 24 hours together, hung out, ate dinner and drank coffee and, and had a good meat. And I got back on that same helicopter and, Flew back to uh, Gambiri. So, so we got to talk about the helicopter, Alan. Just one second. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I can tell the helicopter story better than anybody else. Alan's the bravest man I know, hands down. Because I'm going to explain this to you: is um, this helicopter here? He rode in on a damn Russian helicopter. Okay, 
And when that thing came in, it was in Bagram's where, where, where we were at. And when it came in, anybody knows Bagram, it, it, it's a big, it's in the bottom of a bowl. So you got all these mountains. This damn helicopter comes over the horizon, spitting out more oil than it has in its freaking engine. I can promise you that because the Russians ain't freaking fixed the damn thing in 30 years. And we didn't pay to fix it either. And I'm talking, it's shooting out a, a steady stream of, you can see this thing miles away. And when Alan came off that thing, I said, dude, you actually rode that damn thing? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, like there's nothing. I'm like, that is like the most unsafest freaking helicopter I've ever seen in my life. He is the bravest man I know, hands down. So, yeah. With that story, now, I, I just told my dad that I went to see Ian. And then <laughs> saw my dad and told him this story. So then I had to hear, why am I riding around on these dangerous Russian helicopters in well, Afghanistan? Yeah, what had happened, I went back on emergency leave because my mom had passed and I saw him there and I told him that and uh, it kind of eased tensions at the time too, you know, because all that. And he came to the 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 viewing and I explained, I said, your son, dude, is courageous as heck. You got to be proud of him because there ain't nobody braver than that guy right there. And so he ate that up, you know, so. Uh, wow. So it's good to have you on, Alan. But hey, I'm holding up the progress here and I got to introduce Casey Luke. So Casey Luke used to be a soldier I used to work with in the Mighty Delta Dog 701st. And uh, she was a Avenger repair. Now, I don't have a picture of the Avenger. She showed it up earlier. I should have pulled one up. But that's a bad motor scooter. And I'll let her talk about that here in a second and a few other things. But not only was she she's a soldier that served in Iraq with the Big Red One Delta Company 701st and did great things there. She is an avid obstacle course runner. And uh, – about when I was in stationed, uh, when I was stationed at Bragg, I hit her up because I used to see all her pictures. I think she ran every obstacle course like eight times. And I said, Hey, I'm about to start one of these here. What do you suggest? And she told me the steer tip of like, This is hard. This is not hard. You'll walk into this and do this and easy. And so, like, I did the one for the infants after she told me all the ones that were hard, you know, what all you had to do and uh, the physical regimen on it. And uh, she's been an avid. Um, obstacle course. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Casey, let you talk a little bit, and I'm going to throw your image up here in just a second. So go ahead. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So um, not so much avid anymore. I started doing them back in 2015, fell in love with my first race. It was a Spartan race. Um, actually injured my shoulder in a race at the very beginning of 2017. Um, me being the stubborn person that I am, kind of pushed through it, finished out the season ended up re-injuring it twice in 2018. Um, and I haven't done a race since, um, had a lot of problems with doctors, not really figuring out what exactly the problem was. Um, so I've been sidelined for a few years, unfortunately. Um, but I'm up in Ames, Iowa now and found some doctors. They did a contrast MRI, find a very significant tear in the rotator cuff and the labrum. So looking to get surgery sometime this year. Um, I am registered for a race this fall. I was hoping to make that kind of my comeback race. It's the world championships up in uh, Stratton, Vermont. Looks like I might have to push that back another year just because it's taken so long for the surgery. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to get back into that. Hopefully next year. Cool. So I'm going to put your picture up. Let you explain a little bit about here. Yeah. So this picture 
is a lodge that is being built in Southeast Iowa um, through a veterans organization called Healing at English River Outfitters or HERO. It is a nonprofit, 100% um, volunteer, 100% veteran organization. Um, and what they do is they reach out to veterans. They get them out there for hunting trips. They actually took me on a hunting trip um, in December. And that's how I kind of got to knew, know them a bit. Um, and really that trip did a lot. It was a lot more than just a hunting trip for me. It gave me time to reset and kind of refocus everything. And it really gave me the push I needed to um, kind of hit the button on figuring out exactly what was wrong with the shoulder. Cause you know, after all those doctors kept telling me they didn't know what was up, I kind of gave up um, and just conceded to the fact that I would never do obstacle courses again. I just have to live with this messed up shoulder forever. And um, yeah, so that was really a turning point for me, that trip. Um, and then after that, so many more doors have opened up. Um, I found out today that I'll be going on a missions trip to Haiti um, in May, a new church that I found. Um, I'm going to school right now for soils, and hopefully I'll be able to work with some of the local Haitians there where we're going, um, work with some of the farmers and stuff like that. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. Um, another veterans group that I found recently was a vets disc golf club. It's a national group. Um, I got selected to be, to represent them on their team for disc golf this year. So super excited about that. And actually was just able to this Saturday, um, opened up a local chapter here in central Iowa, um, for local veterans to be a part of that group. Cool. Cool. So that, have you ever have you ever done disc golf? No, that, have you ever not. done it? Neither have I, I. But I've always see it. I want to try it. We got to try it someday. We got to try. A lot it. Of fun. I highly recommend it. Absolutely. I, I do yeah, feel I see that it in the parks around here. I want to do it. I do feel that my disc will go out in the woods. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking that out loud. But I would try it in a heartbeat. That, that sounds cool. So yeah, I also I heard that you did something for the first time this year. You don't mind me asking. You went on a uh, a little hunt. Is that true? Yep, that's the one that happened in December. That was with Heroes Group. I was mentioning with the lodge. Yep. Um, yeah, and it was it was great. You know, just being able to get out there away from everything and away from everyone, not having to worry about school or just life. Just being able to enjoy outdoors. I was able to get a deer. Uh, she, a little small doe, she was about 150 yards out and I dropped her right there. So that was, that was pretty amazing. Um, so, so do you have the hunting fever now? I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right. Uh, yeah. well, thank you. That, that is freaking awesome. And, uh, glad to have both you and Alan on. So I'm going to throw it over to the coach. Cause I think he got some stuff like a question or something to talk about here. So. Well, something that we talked about uh, just a few uh, episodes ago and something that really kind of got my attention a few years ago, uh, there was a, a guy that I listened to from time to time on the Internet by the name of Ben Shapiro. And I was looking at some of his videos and I saw one that says Ben Shapiro had been canceled. His show had been canceled by the university that had actually asked him to come there. So I was like, what, what's going on here? So just that's kind of understanding what where I'm coming from is I started kind of thinking why was Ben Shapiro canceled at Berkeley? Because Berkeley back in the seventies was the place where freedom of speech was on full 
I mean, every, if you wanted to hear freedom of speech, you wanted to hear anybody, see any kind of music, any kind of religion, go to Berkeley. But all of a sudden now people at Berkeley are like, we don't want to hear people unless they are, uh, they believe what we believe or if something is too controversial. So that kind of started seeing that and kind of sparked my interest in, you know, kind of long story short, started seeing, you know, this thing attacked and another thing attacked. And then we, last year we started, we're hearing and Jemima need to change the name and um, certain uh, Quaker Oats might have to change their name. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? And now I start hearing Looney Tunes and Pepe Le Pew and my guy back here. I actually bought him recently because I was like, man, they can't take away my Mr. Potato. Dude, I love this dude my whole life. But I don't really understand it. So we, we started talking about it. You really kind of just to use this straight word that I, I that I, the only thing I feel it pisses me off a lot. So I wanted to ask Alan and Casey, what is your thoughts on this whole cancel culture that's going on in our country? That's just kind of started in the last six to eight years, really, where it's become every single week, something new is attacked. And if you don't change it or address it, you're considered there's some kind of phobic or some kind of racism or some kind of offense. And, uh, you know, the vet and I have talked about it, but I want to hear from other people. What do you think about this cancel culture? Uh, Brian, I'm going to tell you, uh, before long, me and Ian aren't going to have a culture because they're taking it all away from us. <laughs> Everything we grew up exactly. with is now is bad. But you know, look, me and Ian turned out okay. I mean, I'm a little off, but I mean, everybody that knows me know, knew that way before the cartoons. But yeah. I mean, my kids got PlayStations and Xbox, and they played like Grand Theft Auto. I ain't seen that get pulled off the shelf, and I've watched them play that. And I'm going to tell you what, that's way worse than Pepe Le Pew and Mr. Potato Head. Right. And it's 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 very confusing, for especially for the, the kids, but even more confusing for us because we look at cartoon is a cartoon. A movie is a movie. A song is a song. I never looked at the bottle of syrup ever in my life and thought anything wrong with it. I never looked at a, a, a Mr. Potato Head and go, well, we need to have a Mrs. or we need to have maybe one that's not a Mr. and Mrs. It's just not something you ever think about until someone tells you to think about it. And that's one of the things that I don't understand is these things have been there for, for a generation or two and hasn't been an issue, but now it's like there's someone, I, I feel like there's somebody sitting in an office somewhere that's out, outside of reality that goes, they're flipping through books and go, okay, here's the next one. Here's the next one. And I, I can't get it. Casey, what do you, what have you seen from a different perspective of someone? That, now what, what part of the country are you from? I'm from the Midwest um, in Iowa, uh, currently in central. And um, I really agree with what you're saying. It's to me, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, and it does seem like there's someone or a group of people sitting around looking, just looking for things that they don't like. And so that they can pressure people into canceling it. And Absolutely. the stuff that it like, it blows my mind, you know, um, I hear stories of like child sex trafficking rings and, you know, actual issues that if these people would put their energy into eliminating those things, I think we would be a lot better off as a society and a country and uh, even a world, you know, like let's focus on actual issues and stop making a big deal out of stuff where there isn't anything 
Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, it's, it's not that we don't have issues and things are going so great and we're living in this utopian society and everything's perfect and we got to look for things to, to have concerns about. There's plenty of things that this country has to, that we should be concerned about, uh, you know, all the way down from the way that our Congress is run, the way uh, you know, interest groups are there, all the way down to the local, you know, um, just something recently around here, just, you know, there was a gentleman that, that had been for a number of years as a coach that was told he couldn't pray. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's an issue. That's a local issue that can be discussed. But it seems like every day there's something new coming up that just goes, what the hell are we doing? Uh, can we not focus on things of importance? I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're worrying about a damn skunk. Are we worrying about a potato head? Are we worrying about who's the next name? What, I don't even know the name. of Angie Mama's not even named anymore. And what is the stupid Miller, Miller or something? You're on mute. Oh, it's something Mills. I think it's White Mills or something like that. A milling company. Um, and I'm like, how do we get that? You know, I don't know. So uh, I'm not 100. percent There's something milling company though. But it's like the Pepe the Pew thing, because Casey, it's kind of where does it come from? From what I understand, there was one gentleman at the Washington or New York Post or someone that came up with an article about the rape culture of Pepe Le Pew. And because that that was ingrained in people's from a, from an early well, I'm gonna tell you right now. I never thought about raping anybody, and I saw many of those. I always thought the dude could catch the dead cat. I always was pulling for the guy, like I was pulling for the coyote to finally one day catch the damn roadrunner. Um, just come on, man! I want one time, but it, what, I never thought about that as a kid that the coyote was trying to you know somehow hurt the roadrunner to a point, or the skunk was going to rape the cat. Until we're told that's what we have to to look at. So, Alan, I know I know you you, you grew up where I grew up. What in the heck is? I mean, what do you what the heck's going on? I, I don't know. I, you know, I think it all comes back around to participation trophies. In my opinion, <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody gets their feelings hurt because they don't get things their way, and that's I, I mean. There's then there's not your net you got you got to teach kids and you, we should have taught them a long time ago that you know everything's not perfect in this world everything right. you might get your feelings hurt I'm gonna tell you I, it, there's three of us right here that they tell you they ain't never had their feelings hurt we were all in the military there there there'll be three liars sitting here I promise <laughs> right. gonna get it hurt in the army but we all grew up in the army you know if, if I said something real bad to Ian he ain't gonna take he's probably gonna say something real bad back to me. So right. it's just a, you know, it's just a culture of, you know, you got to think this way, this way, this way. And if it ain't my way, then you're completely wrong. Right. It's going to be my way or we just won't have it at all. And that's, that's what I well, And I agree with you because, Alan, when we were playing sports, we had tryouts. And you were good enough to make the team or you were on the B team. If you weren't good enough to make the B team, then you were cut. They used the word cut. And you either had two things you could do. You could quit playing that sport or you get your butt in gear and practice for a whole nother year. What I call the Michael Jordan syndrome. You go get your butt in gear for another year of tryouts. I went to coach five years ago at a place in Hawkins, Texas. I don't care. I'll call him out. And immediately I was told when we got ready to do tryouts, I said, so winter tryouts, because they told me I was going to coach the eighth grade basketball team. Okay. I said, when are we going to schedule tryouts? No, we don't have tryouts. What, what, do what do you mean you want to have tryouts? Well, everybody's going to, 
that wants to play basketball will get to play. And if we don't have enough spots, then what we'll do is we'll allow them to have a game or two on home games where they get to play each other. I mean, what are you teaching a kid? That where you're at, that's where you're going to stay. If you're not good enough to make it, you don't have to go practice. You don't have to go get help. You don't have to go in the backyard and shoot baskets. You made the team. You get to wear the jersey. So, yeah, Alan, I totally agree with that. I mean, the participation trophy is a bunch of crap because it doesn't teach you what the real life is. When you get in a job, if you don't do well and you get fired, now you, want, now you know why people shoot up places, don't have to deal with, they don't know how to deal with failure. That's just my take on it. I agree. I agree. I'm going to tell you, and, and, Ian and, uh, and Brent, y'all, y'all know this coach. I'm not going to put his name out there on, on uh, this podcast, but hey, I'm going to tell you what, I played for a guy when I was a freshman in high school. That guy right there, he might not cut you, but he'd run you off. He had to be the meanest guy. My my neck, I could have sworn he broke my neck a couple of times by grabbing my face mask and just twisting it. But I mean, well, did it start with an H? It, it does start with an H. Okay, I'm gonna... L. But I'm gonna tell you what, he's a great guy. He was a great guy, and I, you know what, I coached a lot of sports, you know, youth through rec centers, and I kind of based my way I coached off of the way he coached. I didn't grab nobody's kid, but I I tell him up front, hey, you need to work harder. You ain't going to just play because we put some money in the pot. Yeah, and, and, and Vet, I think this is what we've talked about. This just kind of expands on it, that if you live in a society where you don't have failure, then when failure comes, you don't know how to deal with it. And I think uh, my favorite book is The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. I let my, my students or prisoners, I give it to them. They'll take it to your cell and read it. And the very first sentence says, life is difficult. And if you don't believe life is difficult and you're living in a fantasy, and if you're living in fantasy and bad shit happens, you don't know how to deal with it. You got to learn how to fail quick because you're going to fail in this life. Coach, on that, I agree. I'm going to throw it over to Casey, see if she's got anything here real quick, and I'm going to throw some, throw some salt on it a little bit there at the end. So go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, I grew up in a very small town, so – we were lucky if we had enough kids try out for different teams to fill the spots. But even with that, you still had to earn a starting spot. You know, you didn't get a starting spot just for showing up. And we did have varsity and JV for all of our sports. And, you know, if even within that, sometimes we had some of like the JV freshmen and sophomore kids playing varsity because they put in the work, they were good enough to do that. So they earned that spot. And, you know, sometimes your juniors or seniors might, have to go play JV for a couple games because they weren't putting in the effort. So even within small school systems back in the day, there was that system where you still had to work for what you got. And yeah, these participation trophies nowadays, they're ridiculous. I've been hearing about them and I was like, I don't get it. I really don't, but whatever. <laughs> we understand small town, Casey. <laughs> about 5,000 people. <laughs> So, so coach, I'll say this here, is, and I'll throw a couple things out here. I remember when my dad said, "Hey, you're gonna play pee wee ball," and uh, he said, "You got to do tryouts, and you might not make it." And I was like the runt in school, to be quite honest. I was like the smallest thing there was. And he spent the two days prior throwing me a hundred pitches, making sure I learned how to hit. And when I got up to bat and practice up there for tryouts, I hit everything that was there, and I got picked. You know, although he gave me a glove and Jerry Jackson can attest this and anybody else, the glove dragged the ground because it was his damn glove. <laughs> we so damn poor. We couldn't afford a glove. 
you know. But hey, <laughs> my little my little runt ass got in there because I, I put the time in and not wasn't afraid of the ball. That's the first thing. The second thing I'll say is Casey could probably attest to this in our unit. There are times that I could be very um, – I could be an adversary in some ways. I guess that's probably a polite way of saying it. Uh, uh, but, you know, when, when you face a little adversity, uh, soldiers have to either pony up or, or they're going to get broken. And hopefully they can face adversity and rise to the occasion. And I'm quite sure it's the same way in Allen's units that he is in. Sometimes you need to be yelled in the face a little bit to, to get – get that motivation going to get going. It was never personal, although it might've felt that way at the time, but those things there produce warriors at the end of the day. It doesn't, it doesn't produce baby handlers. It produces people that go out and kill people, you know? So, and then you mentioned something and it brought something to my attention that I wanted to talk about is when I'd have soldiers that uh, would lose some people or have uh, pass away or something like that, they might not be religious, but I would always go to them no matter what. And as a first sergeant, Alan can attest this, you know all your soldiers extremely well. You might not know all the dirty things they do, but you know a good portion of what makes them tick. Even if they wasn't religious, I would go to them and I would say, hey, would you like to see the chaplain? And they go, first sergeant, you know I'm not religious. And I'd say, understand this, the chaplain is more than just about God. Sometimes they're just comforting. And that comfort the professional counselors also that comfort might be what you need, you know? And uh, so I would refer that to them. And nowadays time though, with the council culture, I could very well be having an investigation put on me for forcing that down somebody's throat. Even though I never forced religion, I sit there and just trying to seek out some help for them. But the way we're, the route that we're going on this, we're going down that lane. And then the other thing I, I do want to talk about is, is anytime we suppress speech, uh, we're going against what America stands for, period. Express, uh, suppress any form of expression. But we've talked about it a little bit, and I wanted to bring up a little bit about, you know, the Grammys at 8 o'clock Eastern time on CBS it was, put out a little party and, uh, and a song called Walk. And so I do have some feelings on that is I think she should feel free to let us know all about her sexual exploitation, all she wants. But my challenge I have with this is, is I remember as kids that we watched the Grammys at seven and eight, nine, 10 years old. And people say, well, if you know, Cardi B is going to be on there. You shouldn't have them watching the thing. Well, I would contest to that and say, maybe it needs to be on a later channel or maybe it shouldn't be on that venue. Not that you're trying to, kill the speech but as i was talking to alan earlier i got soldiers that were in germany that would go pay to go see one of those venues in france and other places some good hard american euro or dollars <laughs> you know to those type of clubs that would eventually come on the naughty list so why are we seeing that on prime time when we we, we never catered to that before and i will throw out there though although when we grew up madonna did the same thing with the like a virgin you know, the, the, the video or the display of her stage presence with that was quite similar. But I just don't think that my 15-year-old, do I think that he's not doing things that he wishes he was doing? Oh, I'm not naive. But I don't think he needs to see it at 8 o'clock on standard three channels of TV. 
that's just my opinion. So anyway, I'll throw that yeah. out there. And mine, real quick, and I want to ask you guys about it, but one of the things that I saw someone co uh, comment on Facebook was, oh, it's it's later in the night, your kids shouldn't be watching it, or oh, kids don't even watch the Grammys anymore, or the kids doesn't. I'm going to tell you right now, when we were growing up and Michael Jackson was on there, or Madonna, or somebody was on there, that's all we talked about for the next three or four days. Did you see Michael Jackson's moonwalk? Did you see Madonna in the bed, or did you see whatever? So don't give me that crap that we don't, we don't know, or they don't know what's going on. Believe me, my kids... They know they my daughters, one that's 17 to 21, had to tell me what WAP meant. OK. And it was embarrassing when my daughter wouldn't even say the last part. I had to guess it. And I was like that. i got to be wrong. She goes, no, you're not wrong. I mean, are you kidding me? And the thing is, you can call it WAP and you can do whatever. But the kids already know what it is. So when they think it's OK to be on TV, I think they believe it's OK to say it and do it. What do you think about that, Alan? I really want to know what Alan thinks about this. Uh, you know, I remember growing up, we the Grammys, that was that was a big thing to watch. I mean, you, especially the, in little old Pittsburgh, you know, we didn't have a record store or any good radio station. You wasn't getting reception on it no way. No. So you, you know, you depended on Walmart to provide us with records. But, you know, when we were coming up, that wouldn't have been on there. You're right, we had Madonna. And uh, I think one year, I think, and it was well after I was out of school. I remember Prince, he was out there at a, an award show and showed it his butt cheeks to us. Through them, cut out the back of his pants. But that was on a, a cable channel and not on primetime TV. Uh, yeah. But, you know, my kids, I don't think they ever watched the Grammys. Maybe a couple of times they'd watch to just see who won certain awards and they'd go on back watching something else on another channel. But, you know, I... That right there, I don't think it should have been on primetime TV. Yeah, it didn't show it till probably, I think it was almost after 10 o'clock when they showed that that act, but not on primetime. Yeah. Well, Casey, what do you think about it? I mean, I'd like to hear what you think about it. I mean, yes, you're right. One thing, Alan, that you said it was later, but most kids stay up on Monday night and watch Monday night football at 10, 30, 10, 10.45. So that's not too late. So. No, you know, I really agree with what you guys are saying. Um, and if we go back to kind of towards that cancel culture with like Pappy Le Pew, the stuff that they're showing on these, you know, award ceremonies are so much more vulgar than a cartoon skunk. And that and that's kind of what really blows my mind about it. It's like, why are they going after a cartoon when they're really advocating and pushing for this other stuff to be on TV and to continue to be on TV when it should be the other way around. Because um, when the kids see this stuff, you know, actual people on stage or the music lyrics or music videos or whatever, they're going to follow that a lot more than a cartoon skunk as far as actions go. One, one thing I will say is uh, the society we live in right now, we had the MeToo movement, which was, very powerful for, for a moment. The very people that will push for Me Too movement will say, you know, that they believe that women should be empowered, which I 100% agree with that. Some of the best people, I, best soldiers I've been around has been women. And uh, and to me, to be honest, it doesn't matter if they're man or woman, just as long as they get the job done and they, they protect me and I protect them is all I cared about. But those very same people will sit there and say that this is empowering and which I'm like, this is, everything but empowering when you see what they did on stage that this degrades the opinion uh, you know the this degrades a woman to me more than anything else 
I don't really care what anybody does behind their closed doors and all those other things, but this was exploitation in, in, in a form is what that was on the Grammys in my mind. So that's just my. So, so coach, I think we got another topic though that we got to talk about. This probably won't take too long. And, uh, and this in here, what I got is, is, President Biden's about to do his first official press conference since being the president. <laughs> and he's waited longer than any other president in the last hundred years. He's taking his time about it. He's wanting to savor the moment, I presume. So my question to each one of y'all, and I'm going to start off with uh, Casey and, and I'm going to work my way to Allen and the coach is uh, how many answers, and you can give us your thought process on it too, if you want to. How many answers will he actually will President Biden answer from the questions at the press conference? Yeah, um, I, I kind of when I think about that, I kind of look back at his campaign and how what he stopped campaigning like halfway through or three quarters of the way through and just kind of disappeared for a while. So. To answer that, um, one, I'll be surprised if he doesn't cancel it, honestly. Um, so, and then two, if he does show up, I think um, they will have pre-recorded responses for him or pre-written out responses. And then I think it would probably even be like set questions. So only a, a certain amount of people in the, in the audience or the press or whatever can ask predetermined questions and then he'll have predetermined answers uh, to give to those questions. Um, but as far as giving any actual answers of his own um, volition, I don't think there will be any, honestly. So uh, I'll leave my comments at the end, but Casey, we're right there. I'm just throwing it out there. So go ahead, Alan, what you got? Well, I think Casey's looking at my notes somehow from, from <laughs> Iowa because I'm always going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you all now, I, I listened to y'all's podcast today. And, Brad, if you think I'm going to teach you something tonight, it won't come from anything political, I promise you. <laughs> but if I was in Pittsburgh at my dad's house because I see he's watching, I'd be up on it because that's all he watches is Fox. So I'd be up on what I, I'd have a real good answer. But I, I'm like Casey, and, you know, if he does have it, they'll be pre-recorded, and it won't be questions that came from a uh, a Fox representative or a one of those news agencies. It'll be something that there'll be planned questions, probably five, you know, whoever writes his speeches, and he'll have his answers prepped out and wrote out for him, or going on across the screen for him to see. Uh, and it won't be; it'll be a softball, just like every other question he's been asked, all the way up till he got elected. So. That's what I think. And if it, at Max, Max will be five questions. But like I said, there'll be questions that he already knows that are coming and he's already got the answers ready for. Yeah. Oh, Alan, I 100% agree with that. And because my, my thing is, it might make it might make it look like he's being asked questions, but he's going to know those questions before. The Donna, what was her name? Donna uh, Brazil yep. that had the questions for Clinton prior. I mean, this is, this is the, the game plan. But I really want to see Jim Acosta jump up and ask a crazy hard question to Biden like he did at every press conference that he was at with Trump. Just one time, I'd like for him to jump up, cut him off, 
say no answer the question, President Biden. But it's not going to happen because he gets nothing but softballs when, you know, Trump always got 98 mile an hour Nolan Ryan fastballs. And this guy here gets nothing but softballs tossed at him underhanded because he, he's not going to be able to comprehend what the question is really anyway. And his answers is always going to just be out there. So I believe he has to. The questions have to be prearranged or he will stumble. I mean, that's that's just the way I feel. Coach, I'm going to throw it out there. George H. Bush, Saturday Night Live, had some guy named Dana Carvey, and he goes, not going to, not going to, not going to happen. That's it right there. It's not going to happen. And uh, I I agree with Casey here. I don't see if he gets up there and does his press conference. You remember when we did uh, the presidential election live, we had an outage in power while we were here. Half the South had an outage in power. Amazing how that happens. And I'm not throwing a conspiracy theory, but it's amazing how that happened only on election freaking night, you know, as we're doing right. a freaking podcast. So you figured at one time that uh, I remember I, I knew a warrant officer who worked for uh, the White House staff for George W. Bush. And he said he had George W. Bush was on the phone with Putin and the line went down. He says, the only time in my whole career, I thought I lost my job. He said, I got it up in 20 seconds, but I was not a liked man during those 20 seconds. I can tell you that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, but the whole nation went out with power just during the election. Come on now, are you freaking kidding me? Or at least the South did, you know? And I'm like, why is that? I remember you leaving saying, you know, we're up here. We're going to win this thing. And, and, and that's different. But I do not see him uh, really answer something. There will be a glitch somehow. And I'm going to throw one glitch out there right now. You had the shootings in Atlanta, okay? And the pre- the president stepped off his pedestal to go handle a, a state event that happened. And him and the vice president went down there and they called it, you know, it was racial, in which we don't know that answer for sure yet. And uh, if it is, it is. I'm okay with that if that's what it is and we need to deal with that. But if it's not, it's not. Well, you just had a shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Is he going to jerry his ass over to Boulder, Colorado to go talk about this shooting too? Is this going to be his norm and this is going to be his way to get out of it? You know, I don't know because they just had this down at the the shopping center. And uh, so I feel that there will be something that will cause him not to be there. If he shows up, I feel that we will have a glitch at the end. Peter Ducci is not going to get to ask a question from Fox. And if it does, they're going to freaking – splice over that thing or something or whatever. And Jim Acosta is not going to ask anything except what did you have for breakfast this morning? Ask your aides, make sure you get it right. You know, come on. That's how Jim Acosta is going to be because he got his name from Trump and he's not going to get anything else. So that's just my thought on your coach. I think that's uh, about it. So uh, I think all of us kind of think the same way uh, that it's going to, you know, it's going to be softball season. Yeah. But one of the questions that I did want to ask that, that we had talked about, uh, vet is I'd like to ask Casey first and then Alan is what is the most detrimental thing you see in America today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I'm going to have to say selfishness, you know, uh, we see it with the cancel culture that we talked about a little bit. Um, we're just seeing it kind of widespread and I'm not saying everyone is that way, but it seems to be pretty predominant right now. I'm going to throw out a little quote that's a little before my time, but I'm sure y'all are going to recognize it. Um, It's ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. 
And I just think us as a society as a whole have really lost sight of that. And if we could find a way to somehow get back to that, I think it would help us greatly. Um, just instead of looking at, you know, what's best for me, what do I want? What, you know, let's look at it as, Hey, what can I do to help make a situation better? Um, what can I, how can I, um, you know, apply myself to make things better instead of just complaining and saying, Hey, stop this, stop that. Let's, let's work on making it better for everyone and not just what I want. Right. And I believe, you know, that quote that you give there is from President Kennedy, but I believe that's one of the major issues that we have. It goes all the way back to what George Washington said in his farewell address is, you know, one of the two things he was concerned about the most was political parties over country. And I think when we don't have our country first and you're worrying about, you know, an ideology or a party, then the country loses, not not your fellow man, but the whole country loses. So, Alan, what, what do you think the most detrimental thing that you see in America today I really would like to hear that. Well, personally, I think it's uh, the divide. I mean, we, you know, all we heard is during the campaign was, uh, "I'm gonna bring, the, I'm gonna bring the country together. I'm gonna bring everything together." We're not, we're not doing that. I mean, we're canceling out everything. I mean, I'm a firm believer: if you don't study history, you'll repeat history, and we're just getting away from getting rid of everything. We're not bringing this together. It's either you got to be this way. And it's the only way. Whatever you've been doing in the past, that, that don't count no more. That's not the way we're going to do things. It's it's our way. And it's going to be this way. So if I'm not with them, I'm either uh, I, I hate a certain race or I hate a person or, or I'm just wrong because, you know, that's not the way you think. So I think the, the division in the country is the, the worst thing, you know. This country's only been, to me, in the, in the last, we're getting close to the 20 year mark here. The country was never as close as it was at 9 11. At 9 11, you couldn't have done nothing. You couldn't have badmouthed anything in the United States without getting beat up. And, and, and I, I don't want another great or another uh, crisis or a big thing like that to ever happen again. But we, it's going to take something to bring us together. And I hope it's not that, that we don't need that again because we're still fighting yeah. Iraq and Afghanistan now, but it's going to take something exactly. to bring us together. And this guy's not doing it. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I discussed with my students just recently is, you know, we talk about nine 11 being 20 years. It's, it's, it's be 20 years in September is what would, what would happen with the way the divisiveness is that you're talking about? How would our country act or react now to a terrorist attack from foreign entity, would they come together or would it create even the worst divide because people would say, well, the reason it happened was because this group of people did this. So it, it, they were just lashing out at America because America was either, you know, bad or did something wrong instead of no matter what happens, you don't mess with America. That mentality, those guys holding that flag and, and George W. Bush jumping up on that pile and saying these guys are going to hear from all of us soon, I get chills thinking about it right now. Would our country have that moment, or would they just still stay divided? I don't know the answer to that now, Alan. I really don't. It's scary. So I'm going to throw a few things out here on it. Is first of all, Alan, I, I totally I agree with both you and Casey. I think those are, are major factors. And at the end of the day, it's about divide. But first thing I want to throw out is talked about history a little bit. 
You remember after World War II, we had a good period in the 50s, and then we hit the 60s, and everybody wanted to go run naked out of Woodstock and, you know, smoke weed and do all all those things, which I'm okay with them doing every bit of those things. They just don't have to have to ask about it. You know, that's the whole deal. And uh, we've had 20 years just the same way. History repeats itself. We're in this. Even though this war is dragged on, if you think about the first two years of the war, and then and you and you put that time period back on there like that, or the first four years and like that, we're hitting the '60s all over again. Is what we're doing? Is what we're doing? We're repeating ourselves on it. We're hating politicians. We're hating uh, government officials. We're hate, we're starting to hate the military. We're hating all these things. And but remember the '50s. The '50s was cool. You know, '50s was cool. You got to go drink shakes at the at the diner, and everybody just kind of. It didn't seem so bad then, but now we're in the now it's bad thing because we got to be away from patriotic stuff. The other thing I'll say is, is I think our country is completely divided and people say this divide on race. And I disagree with that because this is a melting pot. And overall, and you and me, Alan, both know about being in a a diverse family itself. You know, I, I think that I've seen too many testaments that it's not about race. What it is about is about upbringing from rural to urban areas. There's a difference in philosophy in both of those mindsets. In an urban area mindset, the philosophy is, is I need the government to get me the metro. I need the government to, to get me this for these jobs here. I got to go to here to get the job and all these other things. So everything's dependent on the government in a major urban sub, suburb area. Whereas in rural areas, if I want it, I got to go get it and I got to go make it or I got to go build it or I got to do it for myself, you know, and all those other things. So our country is divided on urban and rural is what it's really divided on. It's not race. We have a race challenges, but there are little bitty pockets of that. They're not what the media wants to portray. But to me, the major thing that I say, the in 2012, 2013, there were senior leaders in the Army that said the biggest challenge to the United States Army and the United States of America was our own Congress and ability to get along and to get and to collaborate and pass legislation. And I think we've never left that. Is our legislative leaders have failed us. Think about the border and immigration thing. We have not passed a legitimate bill to solve that in years because each side thinks it's political suicide. You know, if they passed a bill, we probably wouldn't have half the problems we have down there, but we haven't done that because they don't want to do political suicide. It is our legislators inability to collaborate, to pass a law for the better of the country instead of their damn freaking party. That is our biggest problem in my mind. I'll throw it to you, coach. Well, I, I totally agree that the urban and, and rural area to me is is uh, it's such a huge difference. It's such it's almost like it's two different worlds. Like here in Dallas County is what an hour and forty five minutes away. It's like it's two different worlds ideologically. It's two different worlds when you when you're downtown Dallas and if you're in downtown Tyler. I mean, it's just a different aspect. So I understand that. When I when I thought about this question, it was it's something I go to all the time. Political parties. I think that's the detriment detrimental thing to our country that is going to either crush the country um, because whoever's in power makes the law, whoever in power makes, you know, the, the agenda that we even talk about. And like Alan said earlier, you have to believe a certain way or you're made to feel that you're wrong. And whatever happened to the, to the day that, that, you know, my dad and, and uh, those guys used to go up to the coffee shop 
and there were some Democrats there and there were Republicans there up at Taylor's drugstore. And man, they used to have some funny conversations, but they would pick on each other about, you know, that, you know, John F. Kennedy was a great president. My dad would say, are you kidding me? Reagan's the greatest president. No, my God, Bill Clinton's the greatest president. Are you kidding me? Bill Clinton's trash. But they did it in a way where they, they still loved each other. There was still this respect there. Nowadays, if you say you voted for Trump or if you say you voted for Hillary, you're going to get trashed by somebody. You might even lose a, a, a seat at the table at Thanksgiving. And, and I've seen some of that. I, there have been people that have literally deleted me from their Facebook uh, that, I, that we played sports with, Alan, just because my idea, my idea of the way that the country is is different than theirs. Um, it, and it's just not what I, what I've ever expected from our, our country. I know there's, there's different parties and there have been different parties for, you know, ever since, you know, George Washington was the only president that didn't have a party since him, everyone's had political parties, but I've never seen the divisiveness, the anger, the, the, uh, and the disassociation of each other just because you're in a party that I see now. So my, my thing is political parties is destroying this country. Coach, Coach, I agree. And uh, so we got to start wrapping this thing up here because we're getting close to time. So we anyway, need to have these guys back on. This has been some of the best conversations we have. We got different views. I know, I know. So I'm going to throw it out to uh, Alan first and say, Alan, you got anything you want to th- say out there? <clears throat> in row? Well, you know, hey, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I know I ain't the smartest cat in the world, but I'm, I'm, I can see when things ain't right. And a lot of it ain't going right right now. I'm glad to see old Carl Padgett. That's who you need to have on there. I guarantee you, you'll have yeah. a good discussion with Carl Padgett on here. I see he was on here tonight. And Jerry Jackson, glad y'all got on here. Shout out to yeah. my dad. He's watching Dot, my mom. I saw Coach Ingram out there. Oh, oh my gosh. Yep. I must not have yeah. played anything for Coach Ingles. I never heard him raise his voice. So, everybody <laughs> I played for yelled at me. But uh, I've enjoyed it. It's great seeing you there, uh, Coach. And I, I, I think the last time I saw you, were, we were playing basketball on that basketball. Probably game. so. Yeah. And Ian, hey, man, it's always good to talk to you. Hopefully, I'll be in Pittsburgh here soon. We can go get some get some hot links. Yes, sir. I'm jumping, I'm jumping in on them hot links. Casey, good to meet you, man. You and you and Brent, y'all make me uncomfortable. So he's always working out. You doing these runs? You and Ben ain't gotta be uncomfortable. Y'all doing it for us. Hey, so, y'all did it for thirty years. Yeah, so, so that's why I'm, I'm trying to catch up. I'm uncomfortable watching that. But uh, hey, that's thanks crazy. for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And hey, I'll do it again. I'll just shoot me a message. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Casey, what do you got? Yeah, I just uh, wanted to thank you guys for inviting me to be on the show. Um, I know it was your first like real live show, so I feel pretty honored to be invited. Um, had a great time. Enjoy the conversation. Alan, it was you also. Coach, good to meet you. Ian, good to see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if, you know, if there's an opportunity to do it again, I'd love to. So anytime, just let me know. Awesome. All right. Well, one thing I hey, forgot I to say. That- Go ahead. Go ahead. I forgot to say. Both Alan and Casey are our top fans on our top fan club. So we're most gracious for all the support you've always given us to begin with. So, and I'll throw it back to you, coach. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to say this when I was growing up, uh, my dad taught me early on uh, that when you see a vet and I still do it today, I teach my, I teach my kids in school. This, if you see one good thing is you don't have to guess who a vet is. They normally are so proud of who they are. 
or their unit or the war they were in, that they will wear that on a hat. And so I, I always have been enamored by people and I always go up to them and shake their hand and say, hey, thank you for your service. You know, what's the best thing about it is most of the time they thank me back. They thank me. I don't know. Like, why are you thanking me? But my dad taught me that at an early age. And I think that's one of my biggest regrets. I see you two guys. Well, first of all, you already retired. And you're rich and you, you're still young and all that, you know, because you got that retirement. But my biggest regret probably was that I didn't go into the military. So you three are heroes to me, heroes to a lot of people. And I just thank you all for your service. I've learned so much in the last year getting to know Ian. Ian and I were just friends pretty much in church, in the Nazarene church more than anything in Pittsburgh. But the last year has taught me so much about thinking and, and wanting to you know, be, be, be better as a person and as an American. And so uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for you guys, not just your service, but also for being great Americans, because that you guys are what America is about. And I appreciate it. Oh, oh, coach. Uh, so we come to that time where I got to say, let me make sure I got my <laughs> right. from the coach and to the vet. Everybody stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.